Matthew chapter 6. We've finished the Lord's Prayer, right? There's certainly more that could be said, more that I want to say, but we have moved faithfully through uh, this prayer that the Lord gave us and the Lord told us to pray. It's not just a gift that He gave us, it's a command uh, that He gave us so that I'm uh, confident that if you were faithful to listen and not forget that you know both the why you should ask these things and the what that you're asking for. So today what we're going to do is we're going to finish up the Lord's Prayer uh, with a brief recap. All right, so let's stand together. Let's stand together in Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll begin. We'll read the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All right, you may be seated. Now, if we have spent so much time In the Lord's Prayer, we started looking at the Lord's Prayer back in 2021. Uh, Why do a recap, right? If we've just spent two and some odd years, almost three years, two years and I think eight months, uh, going through this, why do a recap of something we just spent so long on? And I actually think it's good when you spend a long time on something to go back and do a recap for several reasons. One, it has been so long. It has been so long. It would be easy for the lessons that you learned on a Sunday in 2021, it's easy for you to get those lessons by that next Monday, right? So here we are in 2024 now. Uh, It's certainly easy for you to have forgotten some of the things that we learned from the beginning. And the other reality is some of you weren't here three years ago. Some of you didn't hear the start of the Lord's Prayer. And then before that, the start of uh, the talk of of prayer in general. And I'm not sure if in the meantime of you joining our church body that you went back and checked the back catalog uh, to see, hey, I need to catch up on this stuff. It seems like I'm in sermon number 48 of something. I should probably go back and hear the first 47. I don't know if you did that or or not. If you did, you'd probably still be listening to the last 46 and wouldn't even be able to come to church yet, uh, trying to catch up. So it's so long. Also, it's so much. So the reason to do a recap, it's been so long ago. The other thing is there's a lot that we said. Uh, I went back and I looked and and I think uh, we've chronicled over 100 hours of sermons on the Lord's Prayer. uh, uh, Where we talked about the Lord's Prayer, what it means, and within those sermons, innumerable verses from both the Old Testament and the New Testament to help craft our understanding of those sections that we looked at. Because that was the whole point, is that when Jesus is laying out the Lord's Prayer, he's just not pulling things out of the heavens, right? He's, he's actually bringing things and requests that are important and have always been important for God's people. And we let the Word of God define what the Lord's Prayer is telling us to ask for. So there's a lot, there was a lot that we learned. So it's so long, so much, and also because it is so important. The Lord's Prayer, you, I don't think I can stress the importance of the Lord's Prayer too much. I mean, this is the prayer that Jesus gives to us. The, the time uh, that he says, when you ask God for something, all right, when you go before the throne of God 
and you raise that hand and say, eternal, holy God, can I ask you to do something? This is how he tells you to ask, and this is what he tells you to ask for. And I mean, we are, I mean, we like to praise Esther for being willing to, I mean, it is far crazier for us to think we can just walk up to the Lord God and say, yeah, I got more things I'd like you to do. Uh, So this is a very important prayer. This is the son of God telling us how to ask the one true God and what to ask the one true God for. So we would do well to make sure that we knew this and knew it as well as we could. And the other reason is because uh, this is so tempting. Meaning this, if you've read your Bible for any amount of time, you know there is one warning repeated throughout the history of God's people uh, and their relationship with the Word of God, the temptation to forget and the danger of forgetting. So it would be unwise of us to think that we would never struggle with forgetting or would never be, need to be reminded or would need to, as Moses tells people, you repeat these things over and over and over. In other words, people wouldn't go, Moses, you've done Leviticus 26. We done heard it. Uh, can we have something new? Uh, so the idea of repetition, of going back, because there is a great temptation to forget is something Uh, that we need to be aware of. So I want to make sure and use this to spur your memory and to maybe be a prod, as we'll talk about in a little bit, if indeed you have forgotten uh, some of this. So when we pray, uh, how does Jesus teach us to pray? What does he tell us here? So let's walk through. We'll just walk through the parts of the Lord's Prayer we're going to do we're going to take 100 hours and 3 years and compress it into 45 minutes okay uh maybe an hour but we're going to compress it either way it's not going to be 100 hours uh so we're going to we're going to compress that and and I want you to see a couple things I want you to to uh to pray for these things and I want us to know what we're asking that's kind of the the idea so so bear with me as we try and compress uh all that uh well before we get into the the Lord's prayer itself I want to remind us of the two reasons that we have in the context for the Lord giving us the Lord's Prayer. In other words, the Lord's Prayer doesn't just appear out of nowhere. The Lord gives these prayers to his disciples in certain contexts. And so there are certain times that Jesus says, here, pray like this, or here, pray like this, when he gives the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and in Luke 2, so, so, uh, or Luke 11. So when you're doing that, uh, I want us to realize what it is that caused this prayer. Uh, In Matthew, the reason the Lord gave us the Lord's Prayer, so when you're remembering the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, why is it here? The Lord gave us the Lord's Prayer in Matthew in response to bad prayers, okay? So the Lord's Prayer is given us in Matthew in response to bad prayers. Uh, Jesus says some people, they pray to be seen by others, uh, and so, there, you know, your only desire is to see, be seen by God. Uh, so to combat that, Jesus said, so you go and, and pray in secret because God hears in secret. You're not pay, praying for others to hear. You're praying for God to hear. Uh, then he says, some people pray long prayers, not to be heard by others. Sometimes to be heard by others, we know from, uh, from the book of Luke. But, but here in Matthew, they pray long prayers, not to be heard by others, but to be heard by God. That they think, uh, well, they treat God like the pagans do, 
which is I've got to say a lot of stuff. And if I'm wordy enough or verbose enough or flowery enough in my language, God will really answer those prayers. So I've really got to butter him up uh, and then I can give him the request. He said that's how the pagans think of their God. So we have to have enough faith to pray short prayers. And that's where the Lord's Prayer comes in. We often forget that the Lord's Prayer is given to us as an intentionally short prayer to fight the temptation to pray and say a lot of things. God knows what you need, so you can you can keep your prayer short. So in Matthew, the Lord's Prayer is given to us. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is a good defense against bad prayers. Uh, so if you want to make sure that you're not praying bad prayers, Jesus gives you a prayer to make sure that your prayers are not bad prayers. Uh, In Luke, though, that's not the context in Luke. In Luke, it was given in response to his disciples asking him to pray. They said, look, John, he teaches his disciples to pray. We want you, Jesus, to teach us how to ask God for things. John teaches his disciples, all right, when you go to God, this is how you ask. Now they're saying, Jesus, will you teach us the same And that's then the primary focus in Luke. If you look in Luke 11, it's all about asking. It's all about what to ask for and what to think about when you ask things of God. As he goes on to tell them in Luke 11, the problem isn't that we ask. The problem is that we ask too little. Uh, And we ask too little of God, not because we're so humble. That's not why we don't ask God. He says the reason we don't ask God is because we don't think well enough of God. That's the real reason we don't ask God enough. It's another example of prayer being a test of faith. So in Luke 11, praying the Lord's Prayer is, is a test of faith. If you have faith like the, the pagans in, in, in Matthew 6, you're going to pray long prayers. Now here, your lack of prayer, uh, your lack of asking uh, something uh, shows your view of, uh, of God. And you, see the, you really see the same thing in the beginning of the prayer in Matthew, uh, when Jesus says, when you pray, uh, prayer is assumed for the Christian. It's assumed, and the reason it's it's assumed that we will be a people who ask our God for things. Uh, Imagine living in a world where people are always asking their fake gods for things, for the people of the one true God to not ask him for things. So you're in a world where pagans are nonstop, even even in their false gods, are having enough to ask their gods to do stuff. He says, how crazy is it that we have less faith than the pagans? That we have less belief in the goodness of our gods? These pagans ask for their gods and cut themselves and do all sorts of, to incite their gods to respond. How is it that the people of the one true God are the ones who don't? ask. And so it's assumed in a world where everybody asks gods, uh, it is assumed that the people of God will pray just like everybody else uh, does. And so when you look at the Lord's Prayer in Luke, that's actually Christ's focus. The, The more common problem for Christians isn't that we ask too much of God, but that we ask too little. Uh, and that we ask too infrequently because we lack persistence. God, as we talked about, never warns us about asking too much of him, but he does warn us about asking too little. God never says, hey, you need to be real careful about asking me too much. Sometimes you need to quit asking and you just need to be quiet and let me tell you. know, It's like you need to ask and ask, ask more. And so we want to be a people of prayer, a people who come to God 
with our requests. So the Lord's Prayer, in the context, remember, going into it, is a prayer that's given to teach us to, to pray short and to teach us to pray often. Those are the two contexts in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11. So we don't want to take the Lord's Prayer out of those contexts because that's where it's uh, given. But then the Lord does tell us what to pray. Uh, and He tells us whether He's teaching us to ask or whether He's teaching us to pray good short prayers of, of faith. He does tell us, this is what you say. This is what you ask. When you ask, when you pray, this is what you say. Say what? And He begins with, our Father in heaven. All right, so the, the first thing Jesus taught us was about who our prayers are to, uh, which it's hard for me to end my sentences with a preposition, but it still sounds good. Uh, to whom are our prayers uh, is what Jesus begins with. He begins uh, in instructing us how to pray. He doesn't jump straight into the request. He begins with the one we address, our Father in heaven. When we pray, we pray to the Father. We pray. When we ask God for things, I'm not saying you can't talk to Jesus. I'm not saying you can't talk to the Holy Spirit. But when we pray, we are instructed to pray to ask the Father. Now, the Son is sitting there interceding on our behalf. uh, But when we pray, we ask the Father. But it is not just the Father that we ask. It is also our Father. Again, highlighting it's not just my Father. This is the Father of us all. We're not praying, you're not just praying to your God, you're praying to our God. But we're not also not just praying to a father uh, or our father, but it is our father who is in the heavens. And we talked about what that means, that he is in the heavens, that our father in the heavens is a designation of position, of praise, and of power. An alliteration that actually works. Uh, because here it declares, uh, when we say God is in the heavens, it's declaring positionally he's up there, meaning it's God watching over us. There's a position. He is the one who is the ultimate father. He is not just our father here. He is our father in the heavens. There's that praise aspect. You are the ultimate father, and he's the one who sits on a heavenly throne. So when we say our father in the heavens, we're talking about his power as well. So we're not just told what to pray, but to remember who it is that we're asking, who it is that we turn to, who we trust in and pay homage to by turning to him and him alone. So when we begin our prayers, we begin them with our Father in heaven. It ensures when we say that, that ensures that our prayers will begin with reverence and begin with confidence. Uh, both those things. So how we begin, beginning our Father in heaven sets the tone for our prayers. Begins reverence, which begins with the fear of the Lord, and it gives us confidence. He's the one who can actually do something. But what is it that we ask him? What is it that we ask our Father in heaven? What should Christians ask for? What should be our main prayers? And we saw seven requests in the Lord's Prayer. So let's walk through these seven. If you remember, the first three requests that were given are Godward, uh, which I think teaches us something. Our chief, our primary reason for praying and the primary things that we ask for, our, our primary requests should be about God and not about ourselves. If the only time we're motivated to pray, again, as we saw with for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, amen, if the only time we're motivated to pray is when it's about us and the only things we ever pray about are about us, 
It shows already that we have gotten askew in how we need to be thinking about life and the world and the things that drive us to pray. So it begins with these, these Godward, uh, Godward prayers. Uh, and the first thing we pray is, hallowed be your name. Again, the word hallowed is not a word uh, that we use. Uh, we don't use hallowed, but it's based on a word that we do use a lot, especially as Christians. Hallowed is just a different word for the word holy. Uh, holy, uh, hol- and we said hol- holy, be, uh, uh, holy be your name, or holified be your name. Uh, I prefer to keep that holy root just so we remember how that ties to other references of holy in the Bible. We, if you stick with hallowed, then you have to go, wait, I have to remember hallowed means holy. And then, so we just take that, take the middleman out uh, and just stick with, you know, sort of holified be your name. So our first prayer, again, should not be for ourselves, not be for our name, not, for, not be, hey, for how people think about us. The first thing we ask of the Lord is for him, for his name, for his name to be holified, to be, and by holified, we mean to be set apart, to be seen as different and, and distinct, that it would be clear how much God is above everyone and everything else on the earth that the glory and honor and thanksgiving he deserves be given to him. So when we say, hallowed be your name, that's what we're saying. We want your name to be the name above all names. That's our first request. Father, your name be above all names. Your name be distinct, be different, be set apart from all other names. Father, holify your name. The second thing we ask is for his kingdom to come. Your kingdom Come. Now, why would we want God's kingdom to come? We look because the kingdom is awesome uh, and the king is awesome. We want both for God to come and for him to bring his kingdom with him. And we talked about how the kingdom has always been this great promise for God's people. And it's a great promise because it's got a great king. And so remember, when, when we pray, this is the ultimate hope of the gospel. Not that we leave here to join God up there but that God brings heaven to earth, that he brings his kingdom. It's not, uh, you know, holify your name and take me to your kingdom. Uh, It's your kingdom come. And in fact, God is already doing that. He's been doing that since the beginning. He continues to do that in his people who are the first fruits of the new heavens and the new earth. God's kingdom was and is and is to come. It's the uh, always, already, and advancing kingdom of God. So we pray for God's kingdom to come and we pray for it with confidence because our feet and our hearts are already planted in that kingdom that is expanding until it covers the earth like waters cover the sea. So we pray your kingdom come because we love the kingdom and we love the king. So we're asking, Father, your kingdom come. So, holified be your name, your kingdom come. What's the next? Your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, And we talked about that does not mean that his will is not done on earth right now, uh, but is done in heaven. Uh, We saw how God's will is always done on earth as it's in heaven. This is one of the things that makes him God. Uh, 
Uh, if there is a time where God's will is not done here, where he does not have the power to accomplish his will in his creation, he no longer remains the God of the Bible. Uh, and so God assures us his will is always done here and done there. But our desire is for his will to continue to be done, to be done more and more on the earth. God's will, though, has somehow become this mystery thing for the people of God. Uh, and unnecessarily so. So we talked about how God's will for his people is both knowable and doable. That God teaches his will to his people. That he opens their eyes so they can see it. That he grows our hearts so that we want it. God protects us from what is not his will. He drives us back to his will when we go astray or depart from it. He even uses others to help us know his will. Those were, all, those were all passages that we went through, multiple passages to see. This is God's promise about his will. In fact, God's people have been marked since the beginning as the people who do his will. So we're praying we would do what God's people have always done. We're praying that we would see in us the traits of God's children. We're praying that we would have the confidence in our eternal life that comes from doing the will of God. We're praying that our lives would be filled with what we most desire and what we most desire is to live for him and not ourselves. We're praying that we might live out our purpose and live for his will rather than our own passions. We're praying that we might eat of the will of God that is our food, Scripture tells us, and we're praying that we might walk like Christ. Those are all things we saw the Bible lay out for us. For when we say, your will be done, that's what Christians are praying, both for the world and for themselves. And so those first three commandments, which were Godward, are orienting our lives and the world toward Him. The next set of commandments are, uh, are usward which sounds far less noble than Godward, but it keeps the ward at the end of it. Uh, we keep the same suffix. Uh, so the first three are Godward toward God. The second, or the, the second table, so to speak, are toward us. And so then you start seeing give us. Uh, do this for us. And the first one we see is give us this day our daily bread. Now, when we looked at this request, we talked about how amazing it is that God commands us to ask him to give us things, right? Uh, when your child, if your child were to come up to you, and if you, when your kid comes to you and says, give me whatever, a lot of times you're like, excuse me? Uh, and yet to have the God of the universe say, when you pray, this is what I want you to ask. I want you to ask God, Give me this day the bread I need. Give it to me. And again, of course, we're not saying give it to me. Uh, but we are asking him to give us this. But, but rather than impertinence, right? This is actually an act of faith. For there's no way we would, I mean, in, in truth, survive, much, much less God answer this prayer, if he weren't the one telling us to ask for these things. And what does he tell us to ask him for? What does he tell us to go to God and say, give us what? He tells us to go to God and, and say, give us this day our daily bread. And we talked about what bread means. We saw that how both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, bread is not just a word that means bread. 
So for you gluten intolerant people, you're like, well, great. I, if I ask that and he gives it to me, I'm going to be in real trouble. Uh, but bread is a word that just meant food. It meant what you need to survive. And it was, it was food both physical and spiritual. Your bread would be what you spiritually needed to survive. And also anything, any food that you needed physically to survive. The word bread is used both for food in general and specifically for bread itself. And so we ask God, God, give me what I need. When we say, give me this day, our daily bread, give me what I need. And it's primarily about our food. Uh, it can also mean spiritual food, primarily here uh, about our food. And so we ask him for the bread that we need this day, the, the bread I need today. Uh, and how important that is. Praying for this day's bread and, and praying for our daily needs is helpful for us as Christians because it keeps our requests in the present. And it keeps our minds in the present because it teaches us to ask for this day's bread, not that day's bread. And if you ever find yourself getting anxious, what you get anxious about is that, not this typically. You start to think about what might come rather than what will come. And will God feed me then rather than will God feed me now? And so reminding ourselves, give me this day what I need today keeps us in the present. It keeps us from being anxious. It reminds us that God is daily caring for us. It's not just that the promise that God will care for you that day. He'll care for you when that bad day comes, so don't be afraid. It's showing you that every day God cares for you. God is caring for you today, even though you don't feel anxious about today. Even though you're not worried about today. Well, one of the reasons you're not worried about is God's caring for you today. God cares for you whether you're anxious or not. He cares for you whether you're worried or not. He's giving you every day your daily bread. And so when we ask this and we see him answer quickly, because this is a prayer that God answers very quickly. He's got 24 hours to do it. Uh, that God answers very quickly here. You know, uh, we can rejoice it. So we can see a quick, we don't say here, Father, feed us someday. Jesus tells us to ask God to feed us today. So we trust, when we pray this, we trust our Father to feed us every day and to feed us every day with whatever we need for that day. So when we pray for our daily bread, we're saying, God, I may or may not know what I'm going to need today, but I trust that you're going to give me whatever food I do need. I don't know what I'm going to need today, but I know you'll give me the food that I need, that God will give us all that we need to survive, both physically and, and spiritually. I mean, one of, the, one, of the, one of the most simple ways to see God answer prayers isn't just to thank God for your food, but to ask Him to feed you today. When you wake up to say, God, give me food today. Because either you're going to think, that's a silly prayer because I don't need God to give me food, in which case, do not think that. Do not think, because then when you thank God for the food, you're not being genuine. If you, if you don't think God, you need God to give you the food, then you can't thank God when you have the food because you think, I could have gotten it anyway. But if you really think, as you do when you thank God, if in the back of your mind you're not playing the hypocrite and saying, I really don't think you gave this to me, but I know I need to say thanks. If you really know every ounce of food that you eat, everything you take in is given to you by your heavenly Father. If you believe that, as you should, then if you start the day saying, Father, give us today our daily bread. Then you're going to get to see God answer that prayer every day. You're going to get to see him quickly answer that. You'll recognize this food that I have is from God. 
Every day you'll get to see him answer. Every day you will see his faithfulness. A, a, a lifetime of answered prayers to give you confidence whenever you feel like your daily bread might actually eventually be in jeopardy. When times are tough physically or they're tough spiritually, will God answer? Will he feed you? Well, if you've been praying every day, God, give me what I need today. God, give me the bread that I need today. And he's answered it every day. You're going to have a whole lot more confidence than the only time you ever ask God, God, please feed me, is the day you don't have food. Is the day that it begins and you don't know where the paycheck's going to come from or it's been a really tough week spiritually and now you're asking for the food. You don't have the other years and years and days and days of God taking care of you. This is one of, one of I love that he starts out with this. Because it's, it's a way that we can see God answer and answer quickly every day of our life. Which will build us confidence when those days ever get difficult. If there ever does come a day where God finally does judge America for its sins and food becomes tough to come by. It will be a useful thing as Christians to have prayed this every day. And to have believed what we say we're thankful for, which is that he is the one that fed us. To see him answer this prayer every day and to know that every time we sit at the table and eat, we do so as an, as, as an answer to prayer. That this is God answering the prayer that I prayed or even the prayer that I didn't even think to pray and probably should have. Sit in that faithfulness. Feast in that faithfulness. What is the fifth thing on our list that God tells us uh, to ask for? He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, we looked at what the word forgive means. And the word forgive means to give away. It's even what it means in the, it's what it means in the, it's what it means in the Greek. It's what it means in the Hebrew. And a good thing, it's what it means in the English. It means to give for, to give away, to forgive, to send it away. That we're asking God to take away to give it away, to take it away, to take away whatever we owe. Take away our debts, to, to carry it away. In other words, don't hold our debts against us. We talked about this biblical picture of forgiveness, that you and I don't demand uh, repayment for the wrongs done to us. So when we say, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our own debtors, that when we're forgiving others, what we're saying is, I don't demand you to repay me, which can happen. So in forgiveness, not saying, yeah, I forgive you, but then at the same time going, but I kind of not going to like you until you do enough good things. And once you do enough good things, then you'll, then you'll earn back and we'll be okay. That forgiveness is not holding someone's debt against them. Doesn't demand that they repay you. I forgive you. Now pay me back. That's, that's the idea of forgiving others their debts. You've done a lot of wrong to me. I know it's right to forgive, so I'll say forgive, but forgive really means I'm not going to hold your debt against you. Now that does not mean, forgiveness doesn't mean forgetfulness, and we talked about that because that's a common misnomer. It doesn't mean there are not consequences for our sins. Just go and commit murder and ask the Lord to forgive you and see what happens, right? Uh, there are still consequences for your sins. You go and you commit some grievous sins and there can be consequences in life and from the Lord. In other words, the Lord can forgive you and still kill you. You can, do, you can commit a grievous sin, 
and the Lord be angry with you and kill you for what you did. But you're still forgiven. There's still consequences, though, for our sins. It doesn't mean when we forgive someone, it doesn't mean we forget, it doesn't mean there's no consequences, and it doesn't mean we don't have sort of a renewed wisdom about how to handle a situation. You know, if I've got someone who lies to me over and over and over, and I forgive them for that lie, it would be foolish of me to forget as if they have ever lied, right? Uh, hey, can I borrow a thousand bucks? I'll pay you back. Uh, well, I've got to forget that he owes me 10,000 already. Uh, sure, buddy. Uh, that's not, that would be unwise. And it has nothing to do with what forgiveness is. Uh, forgiveness is not forgetfulness, but we don't demand that someone pay us back for the wrongs they've done to us. We don't demand uh, repayment. And forgiveness is essential to the Christian life. We talked about that. You cannot be a Christian and not forgive. You cannot be a Christian and keep holding on to the debts that others owe you. And the good thing is it's natural for a Christian to forgive. In other words, they're not to say, hey, you've got to forgive. And you go, oh, that's really not my spiritual gift. Uh, forgiveness is what all Christians naturally do. It, it, it's so natural, again, that the Bible can say, if you refuse to forgive someone their debt, if you, if you, do, if you are someone who's demanding repayment, that, that such a heart is the heart of the damned, not the redeemed. Uh, that this, this prayer, this uh, request is essential for the Christian. In fact, this prayer, this request is actually Jesus' main focus in this list. Because if you look uh, of all the things that he gives us in this list to pray for, it's this request that he continues to talk about in Matthew chapter 6 as he finishes the prayer. So he says, ask for this, ask for this, ask for this, because, look at verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, so he's like, I mentioned the seven things, like now back to number five though, let's talk about the importance of that. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not give away Others, their trespasses, their debts. If you do not forgive those things, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. In other words, he's going to require of you the debts that you owe. So our forgiveness, what the Bible says, our forgiveness just has to mirror how the Father has forgiven us. So after laying out this this prayer for his disciples, that's what he wants them to think of. Of all things, he wants them to remember this, our Forgiveness must mirror the abundant, complete, free, and happily given forgiveness of the Father. If you remember, that's what we look at. We, we, when we looked at, well, how does the Father forgive us? We went and we looked at Scripture verses that tell us how the Father forgives us. And we saw that it is abundant, it is complete, it is free, and it is happily given. Those aren't just things that I thought we should add to forgiveness. That's what we saw Scripture describe, God's forgiveness. And so that's the forgiveness that we must model. When we forgive someone, we do it abundantly. In other words, we're not like going, okay, uh, I'm going to forgive your debt of this much and I'm watching that last penny to make sure you don't get a penny more of forgiveness than you deserve. It's abundant and it's complete. We don't also hold on to what, so we do it with an open hand and we don't do it with kind of a clenched hand, right? We're not saying, oh, take it away. I'll keep a little bit. It's complete forgiveness and we do it freely and we do it happily that's how the lord forgives us that's what he has done with our debts and so that's what we must mirror to others when we say father forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors Uh, and that forgiveness is the type of forgiveness that comes from the heart 
It is heartfelt forgiveness that marks us as true Christians. And it marks us as true Christians not because it is easy to do. That's the point. Forgiving others their debts. The reason it's so essential for the Christian to do this is this is something people can't do unless they're Christians. This is, this is, this is precisely why this type of forgiveness is important because this is something that only redeemed believers can do. It's to be owed a debt and to instead abundantly, completely, freely, and happily not hold that debt against the person who has wronged us. And that's how we're to to forgive without restraint, without limit. There is... Uh, in other words, anyone of anything, anytime. That's what we said. So who do I have to forgive? Anyone of anything, anytime. Uh, and we walk through how the, the Bible shows us these things. That there's no one that we won't forgive. And there's no thing that we won't forgive. And no expiration date to our forgiveness. No point where we say enough is enough. Now you've got to pay me back, even if they do it seven times in one day, as Jesus is going to give that exact example. And, and repent, we still have to forgive them. So when we're talking about forgiveness and we say, Father, forgive us of our debts as we've forgiven our debtors, I mean, that's what we have to think about. I, you have to forgive anyone of anything, anytime. Uh, that's the level of forgiveness that we see in Scripture, and the one we're actually, when we ask God to forgive us our debts, that's why he puts that caveat in there to remind us as we have forgiven our debtors, I mean, am I going to be a hypocrite by adding that part? Am I going to be a liar by adding that part? Because if I pray this Lord's Prayer and I go, and forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation, right? And I drop that part out because I know I'm not a forgiver, Well, then the Lord knows it too. I hate to tell you, just because you don't add it in there doesn't mean the Lord doesn't know uh, that it's not going on. Either we have to take it out or we have to say it through clenched teeth and we have to stop our prayers and say, all right, before I ask you for anything else, I need to confess I don't do that very well and I should. Forgive me, Father. And may I forgive others the debts they owe me so that I can come to you and say, Father, forgive me of my debts. So I love, it's intentional that Jesus doesn't just say, Father, forgive us our debts. He says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Uh, There is in there an inherent accountability. This is Jesus being your accountability partner here uh, and holding you accountable to the need to forgive if you're going to ask God to forgive you. There can be no one that you're holding on to anything that they've done for any amount of time that they've done it. It is, it, is, it is from beginning to end. It is a prayer of grace. Uh, grace given because of grace received. And remembering that will allow us to not only pray that prayer, but do that prayer. He says, and lead us not into temptation. Now, this is, the, this is an interesting part of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, does anyone remember why this is the interesting part? Not really. You don't have to answer. Uh, this is the interesting part of the Lord's Prayer because it's the only part of the Lord's Prayer that we ask God Please don't do this. Everything else is a, is a do, do, do. This is a, but don't do this. This is the only thing in the prayer we ask God not to do something. And we say, God, you know, don't tempt us. 
Don't lead us into temptation. What does it mean to not be led into temptation? We saw how temptation, uh, when you're looking at temptation, is the same word as, as trials or testing. Uh, so, and we talk, so when people say, you know, God will test us but never tempt us, I always go, but that's the same word in the Bible. Uh, so, I mean, it's really hard to make that, uh, make that distinction. It's English that makes those two different words, not, not either the Hebrew or Greek text. Uh, temptation is itself just a word for stretching. It just means to stretch someone, to pull something to its limits. We're asking God not to stretch, not to lead us into times of stretching to the point of, of breaking. And the Bible is clear about God's role. When we are being stretched, that when we are being stretched, God hears us. When we are being stretched, God understands he understands how difficult times of stretching are. He understands those temptations, those trials, and that God will not abandon us during any time of stretching. And that God will never stretch us beyond what we can bear. I mean, that's what we remember from 1 Corinthians. Uh, no stretching has overtaken you except as is common to man. Right? There's, there's nothing that God will allow you to be stretched beyond what you're able to bear. So when we, when, we, when we pray, so we remember God's never, if you go through a time of stretching, God is never stretching you with the desire, you know, to rip you. He's stretching you ever and only with the desire to grow you, to expand you. So when we pray, don't lead us into stretching. We're asking God not to bring us to something that will break us. And so when we pray, uh, or when we feel stretched and we pray, what can we remember? We can remember that Satan might try and stretch us and break us. That others may try to stretch us to the point of breaking. That even sometimes we ourselves will bring ourselves to the point of stretching, even from our own hearts, but God never will. In fact, God is the one we saw in the Bible that promises to regulate our stretching. He is the one that promises he will not allow others to stretch us beyond what we're able to bear. That God is sovereign over your stretching and will rescue us from whatever stretching we're going through should we need it. That every every temptation, every trial is, is controlled by him and reveals our faith. It reveals that our faith is rooted and true and deep Which is why the Bible will eventually encourage us to rejoice at your various trials. To rejoice at your various temptations. To rejoice at your various testings. To rejoice at your various stretchings. Why? Because stretching proves whether or not you're in the faith. And if you can stretch and not break... That time of stretching is just a double proving because it's proving both God's faithfulness and your own. So though we may ask God not to be stretched, we don't need to fear when we are. Though we may ask God, don't lead us into stretching, we can know that God will never allow us to be stretched beyond to the, uh, the point we can bear. He will never allow us to be broken. If the test, if the trial, if the temptation is too much risk, God will rescue us. And if he doesn't rescue us, If the stretching continues, if we say, God, it's going to break me, and we know, he promises, if it's going to break you, he'll rescue you from it. If he doesn't rescue you, if the stretching continues, it must be because this is actually not too much for you. In other words, that he might understand more 
about what you can bear than you can. That this stretching that you're going through is not meant to end your faith, but prove it. And at the time, every bit of stretching seems difficult. I hate stretching. Uh, And so that's why I do jujitsu, so others stretch me instead. Uh, it's, It's not enjoyable. And when we go through times of stretching, we can wonder, how can this be good for me? But the fact that it continues, and the fact that God promises that He will watch over even your stretching, proves both Him and you, you can get through this. God is not allowing stretching to fail you, but to prove you. And so stretching becomes a time not of fear, but of worship. And if you've ever been in the midst of stretching, sometimes it's a battle just to not be afraid. Sometimes it's just a battle of, I feel like I'm going to break. I can't take it anymore. This is too tough. And we start thinking about what we're tempted to do, and we're still being stretched. Our husband's still stretching us. Our kids are still stretching us. Satan's still stretching us. And we're thinking about the temptation we'd like to give in to. And we wonder, God, rescue me because I'm about to do this. He doesn't rescue you. It's because, no, you're not going to do that. You're not. You're going to be faithful. You can endure this. Just remember you can endure because if you couldn't, I would take it away. Remember that the next time you feel stretched by anything. And lastly, we ask, deliver us from evil. Uh, We sat here for a bit, for a bit, I mean a year, uh, because the Christian understanding of evil is, is so limited, we've, we don't have a full biblical picture of spiritual warfare. Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to spiritual warfare, we're more shaped by Darwin than the Bible. So we've just kind of made everything physical and everything like, well, what's really going on is you have this reaction in your brain and you've got dopamine that's being dropped at the same time and, and we just make it all physical uh, when, when the reality is... Uh, is that that's not what's going on. So, so what happens is we assume that every enemy we face is physical when the Bible tells us, no, every enemy, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? That every enemy is, is actually ultimately spiritual. We go, well, but not this one. And it says, but none. And you go, yeah, but maybe none doesn't mean this. Uh, and eventually our maybe just this becomes everything that we face. And so the, the reason we had to, to stay there is because we, you know, the, the Christian world is, is a little bit inept when it comes to our spiritual warfare. Now, this, can, this verse can be translated, we said, it can be translated, deliver us from evil. It can be translated, deliver us from the evil. Or it can be translated, deliver us from the evil one. It would look the same in the Greek if it were any one of those. It would look the same. Uh, so the question is, is this talking about evil in general, deliver us from evil? Is it talking about deli- evil people, right? The wicked, deliver us from the evil, like the evil ones. Or is this verse talking about the devil? And the answer is yes. Uh, Yes, it is. Uh, For the Bible tells us that all of those things are coming against the believer and they're all actually united in those efforts. So you can't segment, you know, is it this one, is this one? Yeah, well, they're all working together, uh, right? And so that's what uh, we recognize in spiritual warfare. So we looked at all the ways that the enemy wages war against the Christian. God doesn't just tell us how to wage war. He tells us how the enemy wages war against us. So we saw what we can expect to face, how Satan will use 
doubt and temptation, those times of stretchings, how he'll use snares, how he'll use deceptions, how he'll use frustrations. All of those things were examples given from the Bible of what Satan will use to tempt you, of what he will use to attack you. And so what must we do? We ask God to deliver us. Now, uh, we saw that that deliverance isn't always just a helicopter out of Saigon, which eventually will be a reference that nobody gets. Uh, but it's not, it's not just that helicopter out of Saigon. It's not, in other words, not just, it's not always escapism. Sometimes God's deliverance, we've seen, is equipping us for battle. And so God calls us not to quit, but instead to stand and fight against evil as well. That sometimes God delivers us by rescuing us. And sometimes we saw in the Bible, God delivers us by giving us what we need for a battle uh, against someone we should have no reason being able to defeat. And so we looked at how the Christian doesn't just hold off the enemy, but is able to make war against him. How the fear of the Lord gives us the strength to fight against terrible foes that should be far beyond us. And so we don't just run from evil, we're delivered from it. But being able, uh, being delivered from it sometimes means being able to fight it. And so we fight with the Word of God on our lips and we fight with the Word of God in our lives. And then how did Jesus end the prayer? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He ends it with a doxology. And we saw how God's kingdom, power, and glory are constant bedfellows in Scripture. Giving His people hope and, and, and certainty no matter what they're going through. That His kingdom, His power, and His glory are, are the confidence in our prayers. He has the king, kingdom, power, and glory. So I can pray confidently to Him. Because He's not a king. He's not someone that I hope will one day have a kingdom. He's not a king that I hope will one day have power. He's not a God that I hope will one day get glory. He has those things. And so I, that's who I'm praying to, which gives me great confidence. You know, if someone comes up to me and asks me to do something, they're probably not going to have a lot of confidence. In fact, probably means all the people that they, that they could have confidence in haven't been able to do anything yet. Uh, but if, if we go to God who does have all these things, we can have great confidence. But it also is the purpose in what we pray for. So thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Uh, it's not just our confidence in prayer, it's also our purpose. Just as the prayer began with a focus on God, so the Lord's Prayer ends with a focus on Him. This isn't just why we're confident in our prayers, it's why we pray in the first place. God, do all these things because my great concern in life isn't myself. My great concern is your power or your kingdom, your power, your glory. That these things I'm asking for, that I just listed, those seven things, I'm not just asking them for me ultimately. I'm asking them for you and for your name. And so even that second table that were requests about us weren't really about us. We're asking him to give us our daily bread for his glory. We're asking him, we're asking him to forgive us for his name because of his power, for the name of his kingdom. We're asking not to be led into temptation for Him, for His sake, for His name again. So show yourself to the world by answering these things. Show yourself to be true and faithful as you've always been. Let the world see that you are the one true God as you do for your people what no other God can do for them. And so when God feeds us, when He forgives us, when he doesn't lead us into temptation, but delivers us from evil, that is God proving he is God. 
proving that his is the kingdom, his is the power, and his is the glory. And that confidence is extended even more when we see that those things are true forever. There is never a day, never has been a day, when God does not have those things, and there never will be a day where God loses them. So I can always pray for these things in confidence, and I can always ask for these seven things to, because they will always be my purpose in life. And what have God's people always said to doxologies? Uh, the same thing Paul says at every end of every one of his doxologies, because this is what people do. After God is praised, we say amen. And I don't know if you've tried to do that this week, but I've been listening like a hawk for anybody to say anything good about God. Uh, so I can just go, amen. Yes. Uh, like I'm wait, like even yesterday at the conference, I was at the conference uh, and I was listening and I was like, I think he's about to give a little doxology here. Uh, and I'd wait. And if it was a doxology, I would say, amen. I would just go, amen. Uh, just out of habit, whether it was a great doxology or not, it was a doxology. Uh, he praised God for something and I would say, uh, amen to it. So, and that's how this prayer, uh, prayers and doxologies end like this. Amen, God, amen to these words of praise. Yours indeed the kingdom and the power and the glory and amen to these requests. Uh, I get sort of one person, remember, lifts them up, but we're all in agreement with that person. So as this has been a group prayer, as we saw, uh, our father, this is, is a prayer apparently being done in a group. At the end of it, everyone agrees with the one who has approached the throne as sort of the spokesperson. Uh, and so when we all say amen at the end of prayer, saying, yes, God, do these things, do uh, this because they are good and right uh, and true and faithful things for you to do for your people. And so since we believe that, we all would say amen. Uh, so let me give you some quick uses and we'll be done. And they'll be quick. Uh, the, the big use, uh, and one of the things that I, I hinted at, and I wouldn't say it's the big use, but one uh, I want you to do is, I do want you to beware of forgetfulness. And that's one of the reasons I, I did this, is because I've been reading the, the Old Testament, uh, uh, some passages in there about, uh, uh, about forgetting. And, and, I, and I know uh, what I said at the beginning, you know, about how long it's been since we started. Uh, but did you forget this are some of these things that we're bringing back up and you know you were there for those sermons you're like I don't remember any of that I'm not saying that that you I mean you know did I hear it and then someone sort of drifted away you might even been excited about it and loved a sermon and now you're like oh I remember I love that sermon I love that Oh, oh I remember those but again I'm not saying you've got to remember everything but did you remember anything and I say that as, as a warning, because if, again, if you've read any Bible for any significant amount of time, you know that forgetting, uh, according to God, is one of the greatest dangers for God's people. It's what led to the downfall of the Israelites. It's what God was constantly warning them about. And if you heard these words from God and the explanation of these words, if you had like Ezra moments week after week, taking to the word, and at the end of it you said, amen, and then you forgot, then you're not really any different than the Israelites were. And in some ways, in some ways we're worse than the Israelites because it's, it's easier for us than for them. For multiple reasons. I mean... The Israelites would have to go back to Moses and say, now, what was it you said again? Because you said something that was really, really good. We can literally pull it back up on the internet uh, and hear it again. And we have robots that will play it for us all the time, uh, lest we forget it. So 
if you did end up forgetting some of this, some of this seems like we talked about this. Let me encourage you, ask yourself why. Why did you forget? Did, do you need to focus in a different way during the sermon? Are you just kind of always done church a certain way and you're just always assuming this is how I get the sermons and this is what I need to do to retain it? If, if you're forgetting, what is, what, is, what is causing you to not retain this stuff? Is it a heart issue? Is it a head issue? Figure it out. Is it, is it that you need to take notes? Maybe it's because maybe you need to stop taking notes. Uh, maybe taking notes has, you're not, you're not actually getting it because you're busy taking the note and then you miss something. And, and maybe you think taking the notes, you take the notes, but you never read the notes. So sometimes we take notes and we think, there, done it. But, but it, it, it can be different for either one of you. I mean, there are times you can, you can do anything. The, the rea- the, what I'm wanting you to ask is figure out what works to make sure you don't forget. And if you do things a certain way and you still are forgetting, change the way you're doing them. Figure out what it is. If it's not a hard issue, if you're not just going, I really just don't care. If it's an, I really just don't care, uh, then it doesn't matter what you do, right? Take care of that. But if it's, if it's something that you can do to remember, to make sure you don't forget, if you have to start putting this stuff as frontlets between your eyes, and if you have to start stapling notes to the doorpost of your house, do it. But don't forget these things. Again, not because anything I'm saying is of any great significance, but because when we looked at these things, we just saw the Lord teach us to pray, and we went through Scripture after Scripture after Scripture explaining to us what we mean when we say that. And if the end of three years, you're going, I'm really where I was in 2021. That's a problem. And we need to be aware of the danger of forgetfulness. Do not forget His instructions. Do not forget His guidance. That has never been a good thing for God's people. So do what you need to do and then test yourself to see if it's working. And if it's not, figure out something else. But we cannot be okay with forgetting. We can never be okay with what God warns over and over is a great danger for the Christian life. So it's, all, it's, it's one of those running jokes that I think Satan first gave the church where we talk about, oh, I forgot it by Monday morning. Uh-huh. And it should be like, Uh, I really think Satan whispered that in a group meeting somewhere and someone laughed and then passed it along. I don't know. So, so, so beware of forgetfulness. The other big thing, and and we'll end here, there's other things that that I could put in. You you must pray short prayers. That's the context. You know, short prayers are a sign of long faith. That's the context of Matthew 6. You must pray often and repeatedly. That's taking it. That's taking the context of Luke 11 and applying that. So keep those contexts for the reasons for the Lord's Prayer. Pray short prayers. Lord's Prayer is one of them. Uh, uh, Pray repeatedly. The the Lord's Prayer is an example of that. Uh, The other thing I would say, and and I think this is is the big one that we mostly forget, uh, you must pray the Lord's Prayer. You must. Now, now you can pray other things. And that's what we talked about. We looked at, because the first thing we asked is, can I pray anything other than the Lord's Prayer? Because Jesus said, when you pray, say this. And we're kind of like, how about I just say what I feel? Uh, but Jesus says, when you pray, pray this. So the question then became, well, can you do anything other than pray and say these things? And we looked at, yes, there are examples in Scripture of praying things other than the Lord's Prayer. But, but twice, Jesus taught his disciples the same prayer to model all their prayers after. That should tell us something. 
Meaning this, you don't always have to pray the Lord's Prayer word for word. But if your prayers aren't modeled after the Lord's Prayer and you don't see any connection to the Lord's Prayer for what you just asked for and the things you're asking for, that's probably a problem in your prayer life. If you can't see, like if you have to do one of those genealogy tests to see how your prayer is connected at all to the Lord's Prayer, that's going to be an issue. Every prayer that you pray, you should be able to see its connection to the instruction that the Lord gave you. When you pray, ask this. And in every prayer, it would be wise if Jesus repeats something in multiple occasions, it would be wise to maybe do it. So pray the Lord's Prayer. If anything I've seen in the Christian life, it's that we've moved away from the Lord's Prayer. We've made it a baby prayer, right? Uh, instead of the model prayer. Not just for our children to model, but for grown believers who have spent years walking step by step with the Lord to model. Uh, and so we would do well to model it. And our church will help you. We're probably going to add the Lord's Prayer more uh, as a liturgical part, hopefully, of our service so that we can at least do that, because it is always a good prayer uh, for us to pray. So pray the Lord's Prayer. Last thing I would say, pray the Lord's Prayer out of faith, and pray the Lord's Prayer to grow your faith. You must pray the Lord's Prayer and ask for it to do these things. The Lord's Prayer teaches us that God is real. He's not just another pagan God, that He's not a wicked Father. The Son tells us to go to the Father. Why? So the Father can show His glory and His goodness to His people. So pray this prayer, and the God of the universe will answer every prayer you ever make. Pray this prayer, and your prayers will always be answered. Why? Because God is real, Christ is real, and so is your faith. Amen and amen. Let's pray. As we come to this time, before we approach the throne of God, I want you to take time to confess any sin that has been revealed to you, uh, maybe leading up to our worship, and you have just, uh, in vanity, not confessed it yet. If there's anything that, uh, that you need to confess to the Lord and make, and make right, if maybe the drive to church was a little tenser than it needed to be, or, or your mind was a little bit more wandering than it needed to be on this Lord's Day, confess that. Any sin that you've committed during the week, uh, before we approach His, his throne, um, it would be good to, uh, to confess those things. If there's anything that you learned today, anything that you learned from the text uh, or from our discussions, uh, confess it. If you have had forgotten these things, you forgot the word of God. I mean, just confess. This is a very real danger and you don't want to fall prey to what God's people fell prey to and, and kept them from entering the rest of the promised land. You don't want that. You want to take it seriously. You never want to be okay with forgetting. Ask God to make sure you don't forget and teach you uh, how to keep from forgetting, to give you wisdom, to make sure, to give you the heart that doesn't want to forget and to give you wisdom to do things that will keep you from forgetting. And then ask him, if you, if you have not prayed this Lord's Prayer often in your life, uh, confess that. If, if Jesus taught you to pray this and you go, you know, I, the only time I really prayed is when I was teaching my kids to pray. Or uh, I've kind of, most of my prayers are barely related to the Lord's Prayer. Certainly not guided by the Lord's Prayer. Confess that. 
if Jesus pray like this and you look back and you say, I never pray that. Because he doesn't say pray like this. He says pray this. And I never pray that. Confess that. Because how many other commands of God is he saying, do this and you're going, how about I do something like it? So model prayer, this is, this is the Lord giving you examples of how to approach the throne and ask the God of the universe for something. And now in confidence, because we know if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To know that he has indeed forgiven us our debts. In light of the, the blood of Christ that covers us and atones for any unholiness in us, let us approach the throne of a holy God and let us ask him our father in heaven holify your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.